0: Welcome to another episode of filmmakers on the cutting edge from creativespark.ai where we have conversations with filmmakers who use cutting edge technologies tools and workflows to be more creative and productive i'm your host marcelo lewin as always if you want to get a hold of me just email me marcelo at creativespark.ai also remember to check out creativespark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials finally if you're watching this on youtube remember to subscribe to our channel and click that bell icon to get notified when new episodes are out and if you enjoyed this episode please click on the like button if you didn't send me an email and tell me why now today's conversation is a really interesting one um you guys know i'm really into artificial intelligence but today we're going to be talking about acting and what is the difference between a digital actor in the future and a human actor there's many questions and answers we need on that and the perfect guest for that is an actress and filmmaker lauren Neal. so without further ado i'm gonna go ahead and bring her in lauren welcome
1: thank you so much for having me thank you for being on the
0: podcast we uh connected via twitter and uh you post a lot of really cool stuff and i think you were well, you have actually we're going to be talking about this. But you have a degree in in, in 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 what is it called? It's data science, right? And uh, which Correct. involves a lot of uh, artificial intelligence as well. But you also have a, a pretty successful acting career. So that's what we're here today about. So let's let's get into it. Um, give us a little bit background of yourself, how you got into acting. Why did you get into acting?
1: Yeah. Um... Sometimes I don't know whether or not to <laughs> pretty this up or not, um, just because it's kind of um, sounds silly sometimes when I say it back. But I really decided that I wanted to act when I first saw Titanic in theaters. Um, so that was the movie that we went to see as a family on Christmas uh, Day when I was eight years old. And there was a something about that film that really impacted me at eight years old and what I knew that I wanted to try to replicate as much as possible in, in my future work, in my future life, um, was making other people feel the same way that I felt at eight years old watching a film, right? right. Um, my parents talk about how they, you know, looked over and saw my little face just completely lit up and captivated and totally engrossed. And that's, you know, Feeling that way and saying this is something special. This is something magical. I want to know how to do that Right, whether that's through filmmaking whether that's through some specific aspect of it or being a performer Uh, That's what that movie did for me (laughs) at eight years old
0: And it's not silly at all. I have to tell you we watched I remember when it came out I was much older than eight years old, but (laughs) I we watched it probably in the theater because I don't believe really, back then the streaming services were that popular still. But in the theater, we probably watched it six, seven times. I actually yeah. love that movie. And I think part of it, I'd love to, to get your take on this. The acting was great and everything else, but I think the music also did it. That that music brought on certain feelings when you're watching it.
1: 100%. So my dad is, was a music major. And so music has always been a huge part of, of my life growing up. Um, and he loved TV themes, soundtracks, and scores. And it's fascinating because I seem to have inherited that uh, desire to really, you know, engross myself aurally, um, you know, in the context of, of a film. Uh, so I owned a ton as early as eight years old. I owned both Titanic soundtracks, right? Their original mm-hmm. one, and they did Back to Titanic, and I wore them out. Uh, so I love film scores 100%, and it's one of the best, no doubt.
0: Well, they do say sound is probably at least 50% of the movie, if not more, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a, it's it seeps into your subconscious, right? So you're watching mm-hmm. a film and it's, it's not as obvious always how much work the sound and the music are doing. Um, I've heard many people say, you don't notice sound, good sound, Right. It's, it's the bad sound when you're like, oh, you realize right. what an impact it has, actually. Um, so 100 percent, the sound mix on that film, the sound design right. and the score are incredible.
0: Well, I think people will accept bad visuals with good audio than the other way around.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true. If the I acting
0: think... is good and the audio is good, the visuals could be amateurish, but not the other way around.
1: Definitely, I think, especially in the digital age right now, we're used to consuming a lot of meh, you know, so-so, right. best resolution, not the best yeah. quality video. Yeah, but but sound, one hundred percent, we want yeah. it to be crisp and clean, and yeah. mixed well.
0: And AI helps a lot in that, but we'll we'll jump into that in just a second. <laughs> um, you have a data um, a science degree, right? Um, tell us real quick why you you did that.
1: Sure, so my undergraduate degree is in Performance Studies. Um, I went to Brown and uh, they have a Department of Theater Speech and Dance, which changed into the Department of Theater Arts and Performance Studies. Um, And then during the pandemic or early in the pandemic, I decided it would be the perfect time to go back to school and get a graduate level degree. And I've always been a math and tech person, sort of surprisingly, I think. some individuals, just because I am an artist, a performing artist, and really committed to that. Um, But I really see data as another method for telling stories, right? You collect all these bits of information, essentially, right, at its most foundational level, and then you decide what it means. You decide what narrative you're telling, you know, or what the data is telling you, or you can manipulate the data to tell a particular type of story. And, you know, it was one of the fastest growing fields. It continues to be. Uh, I've always been interested in different software, teaching myself different programs, um, you know, Adobe or Photoshop or or things like that in order to augment my work, Mm -hmm. whether that be as a performer or as a filmmaker. Uh, And so it seemed like a natural, logical progression for me, actually. I was really interested in, in how this new tech and technology could be applied specifically to filmmaking and different aspects of filmmaking to make it more efficient, to make it better quality, all of those reasons and more.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think that makes you the perfect guest for this because you have both sides of the brain. One is the acting side, the the creative artist side, but then the other one is you understand the possibilities of AI and you're not afraid of it, right? So it's it. I think you'll make for a great conversation on understanding that balance and other people understand that. So with that, what I wanna do is to set sort of a baseline for those of us that aren't actors mm-hmm. uh, and go through sort of um, the human acting uh, side of things before we jump into how does that compare with AI actors, right? So tell us about your approach to character development. and How do you get into a role?
1: Certainly, I think, it always will start with the written word or what's on the page, right? Whether that's um, a play, whether that's a film, whether that's a TV series, right? That's your blueprint. That's your map, right? There are ways of reading a script to find out what other characters think about your character, right? Which can also tell you a lot of information. Um, it can be a lot more uh, beyond just the things that you say, right? What does this character do? How does this character present themselves? What do other characters say about this particular individual? Um, so always we'll start, right, with a uh, an understanding of of what your function, your character's function is in, in the context of a, a larger story, right? Um, and that's really important, I think, in TV and film because sometimes your character is not that important in the context of a larger story, right? If you're auditioning for... Uh, a co-star and under 5 lines role on a TV like a show. Small part, yeah. Yeah, and you you your role is to uh, deliver a pizza as a classic example, right? Bring folks water or coffee. <laughs> You're necessary in forwarding and advancing the story, but it might not be your moment to right. you know, shine and share all you sorts You don't need of to define
0: deep. their entire world.
1: Exactly. Right? Like right? you serve a function in a story and to pretend that it's anything other than that uh, is putting yourself really above what's really the most important, which is ensuring that this message is communicated, that the this narrative is received by its audience. Yeah. Um, so that's always the beginning, right, is, is reading a script and, and trying to figure out what is the character's function in the story, right? Is, is it their story? Is it not their story? Are they a supporting cast? Are they a tool, essentially, for a main character, right, to mm-hmm. leverage um, toward achieving whatever goals they set out them- for themselves in the course of a narrative. Um, and there are a lot of different acting methodologies, right? You come across people that approach things in, a, in many different ways. Um, my undergraduate program and training wasn't a conservatory. I've been exposed to probably just about every different actor training methodology. In fact, um, I created a course with a couple of other students during undergrad that specifically focused on the differences between various mm. acting methodologies. Right? We read different texts, we discussed them, we watched performances and, and talked about how the elements of those uh, those different methodologies and different um, skill development right, might have infused a particular performance. Uh, so, I don't subscribe to any one specific uh, actor training and methodology or technique. Um, I think that the best, um, at least for me, way to approach things is to pull from a number of different uh, actor training techniques, uh, depending also on the project and what it requires
0: yeah so what i love to do is compare and contrast right as we go through this and also i want to give a disclosure that uh we're not saying that humans will be replaced by ai all we're doing is bringing up questions just to start a conversation there is no like oh yeah actors will be replaced or we're not talking about that we're just bringing up questions i want to make sure we don't get any emails later saying how dare you say we're um so like in character development right what you mentioned a lot of what you mentioned is and this is your data science side, right, is a lot of uh, research you have to do, which are which is data, basically. You mm-hmm. have to look at data, right? And this is where I'm tying it with AI. You have to look at data, f- figure out that world, and then see how. So how does the, what you just mentioned on character development, whether it's a small part or a large part, how could that be applied, let's say, to AI? Or could an AI actor in the future do that? Um, because it's just data that they have to research. And what makes the human side of the acting different than, let's say, an AI that will do that?
1: That's such a fascinating question, right? Um, as people are working toward AGI, right? Artificial General exactly. Intelligence. Um, the idea of being able to feed, right, some sort of AI actor, right? The context and the details of, of a life, right? Previously lived or memories, um, mm. Likes, uh, dislikes, what they might have picked up, were they born in a particular location? There is a lot of, of information that you could, in fact, train some sort of AI uh, on, right? Um, and then see how basically they, they fuse all that information and potentially you know, generate some sort of new persona out of that. Um, I think it's certainly viable Right, um, how I feel about it, uh, I'm I'm a little bit, uh, yeah. yeah. I think there's more. Um, I have you know the pros and the cons uh, swirling about in my head about that. But I think it's certainly possible, right? I yeah. think in fact it might be the sort of thing where that's a logical step for many, right? Is programming, um, you know, robots or different uh, AIs to do more specific tasks in the same way that right now, there's a lot of individuals training chatbots that are less broad Mm -hmm. than something like a chat GPT. It's not a massive large language model that they're using. They're they're training it on specific documents from particular industries. Um, So in theory, the same thing could certainly be done with an AI that hasn't hit the AGI level, right? Where it's uh, fully autonomous and self-aware and all those things. Um, but it it's, has its own little corner of the market, right, where it, it's trained to do just specific things. And in this case, to inhabit a human with this particular background. Uh, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, to answer your, your second question about how, you know, an AI doing that, doing that work might differ from the human aspect right. of it. That's really fascinating to to consider because I think there could be an argument made that an AI would treat something more clinically, right? So an AI might say, okay, my character is from Appalachia somewhere and they might uh, ingest gargantuan amounts of data about what that means, right? To be from somewhere um, in the Rust Belt or somewhere in Appalachia, something like that. Um, Regional dialect differences, um, and I think humans are maybe more interesting than that, right? So humans, someone might be from Appalachia, but they might have one of their parents from another country or from um, you know, a different part of the United States where the dialect is different. So they might not have a strong regional dialect, right? They might have spent a lot of time in the summers at some specific camp, right? So there might be a certain way that a character operates or functions that actually, leaves out a lot of the the information and data that an AI might mm-hmm. try to consume in order to complete a task, right? right uh, in the best quote unquote way, right? So yeah, when we're training uh, an AI, right? We're reinforcing things that it believes. Um, uh, we're reinforcing when it's doing good work, when it's uh, hitting the mark essentially, right? And that's how it learns whether or not it's uh, meant to continue on that path or not. Um, and I just think, humans might have a lot more nuances they they might not always know everything about again what it means to be from a specific place or um, they might not have read certain texts right that are considered seminal to understanding the experience of again for example being from Appalachia or something like that. Um, and so I think it's also the um, omissions that we have as humans and the, the knowledge that we don't have, the experiences that we don't have, which can be just as interesting um, and, and worthwhile uh, when doing something like building a character um, as, as the things that are true about a person.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like with humans, we bring the experiences that the real world experiences that may or may not have to do with that story to to make it better and where an AI would at least today would focus mainly on that research and and what that story is about but won't have any real world experiences to 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 make those nuances right when they're acting
1: right and i i just had a thought i've never really thought about this before but i would love to see actually an ai try to engage in something like a, a meisner technique Right. So there is uh, a particular methodology of acting, Sanford Sanfor, Meisner. Right. So you'll hear people say, Oh, I'm a Meisner trained actor, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, my work is based in, in Meisner. Um, one of the exercises that you see individuals do often is um, look, stare face to face. To face. You're make, making really good eye contact and repeat the same line again and again and again back and forth to one another. And seeing mm. how over time the, the subtle shifts and changes, and how basically what you're receiving from another person subtly impacts how you send back, right? Whatever your dialogue is, or whatever your um, specific uh, delivery is, loaded with whatever it is that you're taking in from another right. person. I would love to see, you know, how an AI might iterate through that.
0: But this requires sort of the interaction. So you're saying between like both of us looking at each other. We keep saying the the the, uh, the words back and the lines constantly. But as I'm looking to you, reacting to the last time, I now change it. So that requires the AI to be able to analyze both the, the text or the voice that you, how you're saying it, but also visually understand what you're portraying. Right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Verbal cues, visual cues. Um, energetic cues. You know, there's a lot in acting that, you know. I've had a lot of acting teachers that will say things like, I don't mean to get all woo-woo on you, right? Because a lot of times when you're in an acting class, there is a way in which you discuss that je ne sais quoi of acting or this inexplicable thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because the actual act of inhabiting a character is inherently fraught with uh, a lot of a lot of um, really difficult to describe uh, feelings and um, things that are happening all at once, right? Because you're you're meant to be this other person while we actually know that you can't be. So you are both something and not something at the same time. Um, and I think that's the source from which a lot of the more um, sort of mystical conversation about the art of acting comes from and that you'll hear often in acting classes. Um, and so the idea of thinking about um, an AI engaging in the practice of acting when there's so much that feels like we don't even have the words for uh, right. is, is really fascinating to me. And I'm curious how it would right, develop its own system or its own method of preparation or um, how it would tap into that like essence of a character. Mm-hmm. What is that, right? If we can't yeah. define it, how can we teach an AI to understand what that is?
0: And that makes total sense because, you know, struggling to understand where the human has the advantage over AI, I think everything you're hitting here is, is dead on, right? It's the, I don't know factor, But I know I'm I'm doing this well and and people are connecting me with me but I don't know why they are right we can't define it um that's something that I don't believe at least today maybe in the future I mean who knows maybe in 10 years the way things are changing but right now AI can't do that right
1: right at least not to my knowledge because again you know I've talked to other actor friends and I'll say Mm -hmm. because I'm really obsessed I'm notoriously obsessed with the craft of acting Right. And trying to break it down into all of its component parts. I, I made it a goal several years back that I wanted to be able to watch a p- performance
0: mm-hmm. and
1: say, that really impacted me. And I know that that is an incredible performance, but why? Right. Right. And that's a question I've posited to other actor friends or acquaintances of mine. And sometimes they don't know. Right. Or it, it takes real discussion and debate and digging into. Uh, the particulars of a performance to decide what it is that's making it good, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and that can be really difficult to assess, right? Is it good because that person seemed grounded? Well, what does that even mean? What does grounded even mean? What does deeply rooted in the character even mean? What does um, present mean? Mean What does it mean to be present or to have presence? Those terms and those ideas that are difficult for us as humans to define, it makes it all the more difficult, I think, to try to impart that knowledge uh, onto an an AI.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, with AI, sometimes it looks at the world differently than a human does and does things that a human may not consider doing. For example, the AlphaGo AI, I was able to beat the, the Go champion because it actually made moves that a human would never consider making. And in fact, the human would, they, I watched this um, great documentary on that and it, they thought these are really dumb moves. I would never do this, but because of that quote unquote dumb move that it thought about and it knew what was coming up a hundred moves from now, it knew that it was gonna win and it beat them. Do you feel that AI could bring something extra that a human can't to acting?
1: I think that that is certainly possible. Um, and I'm if sure so, there, what
0: do you think that could be?
1: Right. And maybe I'll get a lot of uh, uh, folks tuning in. <laughs> well, no, saying, no, again, we're just, you
0: know, pondering questions here, right?
1: Yeah, of course. I. That's such a great question. I mean, so I, I think the place to start, at least while I'm trying to think through this and what this might um, be or entail, is to think about what it is that makes uh ai and the prospect of agi scary to people mm-hmm. right it's knowing that okay computers they can retain and process through more information essentially than we can right they they could read the entire internet very quickly and parse all of that information up right and, and we don't have that capability so there's something with volume and speed i think that would give AI potentially an advantage in in some instances. Obviously, an AI could memorize infinitely many lines, right? right? There's never the threat of forgetting um, not if you program it in a particular way. Um, when we were talking about research just now, right? Um, or or playing if an AI were to uh, be employed to play a real person, for example, right, the, the act of, of mimicry and being able to go and ingest speeches and video and footage and clips of, of a real person who lived, there might be an advantage there, right? And we're because seeing again, that today
0: with deep right? I mean, we're seeing that right, already.
1: Right, yeah, because the AI can take in so much more, right? The volume of, of information about whoever it is that they're playing um, is so much more beyond what what our capacity is as humans, Um, there could be an advantage there. Um, When it comes to dialects, things like that, maybe speaking different languages, there could be some sort of advantage. Um, So yeah, I think anything that is improved by the ability to access a, a greater volume of information or research and anything that requires that speed right that sort of efficiency and being able to uh, again yeah parse through information more quickly so yeah, yeah. I think there are quite a f- number of areas in which uh, an AI could certainly potentially outperform by certain metrics uh, yeah, human totally performers
0: well that brings me to the next question which is about what's your process for memorizing lines and prepping for a scene and then contrast that with uh, let's say how in an AI would do it, right? Like you already mentioned that an AI could memorize thousands of lines and not miss a beat probably.
1: Right, certainly. Uh, memorizing lines is a fascinating thing. So many, again, techniques and, and ways that different teachers will tell you to do it. Um, some folks never speak their lines out loud, right? Until they're on set and they're about to film the thing or they're about to do that audition because they want to leave that um, sponta- spontaneity right? They want to have the possibility of of kind of anything happening or or allowing their instincts or whatever's inside them to to come out and not pre-plan things, uh, pre-plan a delivery, Uh, because that can happen sometimes if you're just repeating your lines again and again and again. Um, What gets practiced gets repeated uh, is something that I've heard some acting teachers say. Um, I am the kind of person that I do like to run lines. Sometimes that means maybe Uh, consciously speaking lines, either in a flat tone or trying to keep it super varied so that I don't get uh, locked into one particular performance or delivery uh, of lines. Um, But the other thing is that just speaking the lines doesn't always work for me. I'm a really visual person. uh, So sometimes it requires actually being on my feet or running through whatever blocking it is that I have uh, to make sure that that lives in my body so that then I do have the freedom to, to play uh, from there. Um, so I think, yeah, an, an AI could certainly memorize a lot more lines right. <laughs> than a human could. Um, I think what's really fascinating to me is the question of subjectivity, right? You could watch 10 different audition tapes, a hundred different audition tapes, a thousand different audition tapes from, from various actors or performers all doing the same scene and they'll all be different. Right? They'll all have a different quality to them, an energy, a tone. Um, there will be concrete choices made by performers that are different. Right, Somebody might think that this is happening in the script in this particular moment and deliver a line a certain way. They might have different blocking, they might take a risk, they might yell a line. Um, so that's what's interesting to me in the context of AI because I'm not sure yet how an AI would make a decision about what to do in those instances. Would it analyze other performances that have been successful in the past and have basically a library of choices that it has extracted from those performances and then it slots them in um, into different contexts where it thinks it's appropriate to use a technique or or a trick or uh, a choice like this? Um. right? Because so much of, of training any sort of AI is about, again, trying to get it to achieve some ideal, right? Or some correct, quote unquote, answer. Mm-hmm. So the question for me is really how the AI might um, manage or deal with that sort of subjectivity.
0: Yeah. And an interesting thing you said, which is a very human thing to say is the lines living in my body An AI would even, so I want to, what does that mean? I I want to expand that a little bit so we understand the differences between that human and the AI. The AI would never do that, right? Would never think to say things like this. And that's very, very human trait. So can you expand a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, 100%. Lines living in your body, um, inhabiting another person is an embodied practice, right? So in the same way that dance or something like that, right? These are corporeal sorts of uh, acts that we're engaging in when we perform, right? Our, our bodies are doing things. Um, our body, again, is meant to stand in for this other person that we are, we both are this person in that moment. And we're clearly not that, that person, right? That character. Um, that's sort of the paradox of, of acting, really, is that you are both that thing that you're pretending to be and you're obviously not that thing. Right. Um, and the goal always is to actually achieve what you could describe as a singularity uh, in some ways, but a performance one, right? Where you become aligned with the character until the differences between you are indistinguishable. Um, and so when someone says something like lines are in my body, they feel like they're of you, like they're not a natural thing Um, that you would do uh, natural things that you would say right you you can say something out loud and it can feel foreign still and unfamiliar in your mouth right or like I I haven't understood this line completely because I can tell that when I say it I'm still uncomfortable with this text or it doesn't feel like it belongs to me like it's something that I would naturally say um, I think the most obvious uh, example of that is anytime you're speaking um, in a way that isn't your colloquial way of just going up through the world, right? If you're speaking heightened texts like Shakespeare or other uh, sorts of um, uh, playwrights, things like that, lang- anything language based, is the goal always there is to to get to a point where every time you say these words out loud, they don't feel like something I have a distance from. There's no space between these words and me. Um, so yeah, again, that's what I was sort of alluding to before yeah. when I talked about the, the woo woo ness mm-hmm. of acting a lot of the time um, are these really highly theoretical philosophical concepts about what it means to be human and what it means to um, be able to, Sort of uh, artistically, uh, metaphorically, put on the skin of another living being.
0: And I think these are going to be the most important questions to ask in the future as we get closer to AGI. Now, with AGI, we, we're still not talking about being sentient, right? So we're still not we're not talking about uh, an AI having feelings, knowing it's alive, having real emotions, right? We're just talking about being better than a human. In the ability to memorize, to do millions of things at one time, right, and and hundreds of different tasks, but we're still we're still not that at that point of a sentient, right, where it knows it's alive, it, it has emotions. Right. Um, so I think it's really important that we start this. Co- I personally think it's very important to start this conversation today. I mean, even with the strike going on with with mm-hmm. the writer strike right now, in the future this hopefully will be done soon, but there's a writer's strike going on right now in and at the central point of that strike is AI, right? And and can AI be a writer and replace Mm -hmm. writers, right? Which is a really important question to ask. And, but we, I think at the end of the day, we need to know what makes us different than an AI. Because if we can't answer that, then the answer is yes. It can't replace us in whatever, you know, AI jumps into. Right. Um, So let's talk a little bit about uh, rejection. Um, Actors get rejected. Uh, AI actors won't get rejected cause I think they're just created for the specific form or for the specific <laughs> role or whatever. How do you handle rejection and how do you see sort of an AI kind of counterpart to that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Rejection as an actor is a fascinating thing. I liken the process of trying to be an actor and auditioning to falling in love, um, For me, I'm a monogamous person. I know not everyone subscribes to that um, sort of uh, ideology. Um, Sometimes you can be an incredible person and someone can love you and think you're amazing, but you might not be right for them, right? And and that's basically what happens constantly every day in the life (laughs) of an actor is that you're really good. People like you. They think you're great. You are doing this really well, right? And your scene or your audition tape, what have you, but you might not be the right person for that role. You might not have the right uh, essential quality. You might not uh, superficially look like, you know, what the producers or writer or director had in mind for a particular character, you know, a character. You might, for whatever reason, your physical appearance evokes something in audiences that the folks putting together this project don't want to be there, right? When they they might be distracted by something about you, right. um, there might be something about you that um, in, inhibits the ability of the, the production team to tell the story. Um, and I think that thinking about acting in that way helps to, uh, Dampen the the negative impacts uh, of being quote unquote rejected or not getting certain roles, not booking things, not right. not being the choice. Right. Um, if you think about it that way, is and that's also a difficult thing to have to to contend with. Knowing that you're really good, but the that's not the right role for you, right? Yeah. And maybe trying to search and think about okay, what is that role for me, or what would that be? Um, in, in terms of AI, you brought up an interesting point, which is, you know, you could cultivate an, an AI for a specific role or task, right? That you I mean, never... if you don't like a,
0: fe- a facial feature, you can adjust it with generative AI. In the future, it'll, you'll be able to do a lot more than you can today, right? But I mean, right. if you don't like a certain way of their the way they speak, you can adjust that. I mean, so my point is that a director... Could could look at that AI character and go, oh, can you change this? Can you adjust that, right? And slowly start getting exactly that that person that or character they want for the movie,
1: right? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty terrifying thought. I think <laughs> it um, is. You know, and we kind of live in a world where that happens to some extent. Um, you know, people. I have no judgment uh, about anyone who does this, but might change their appearance, right, cosmetically right. Um, to for whatever reason, right, right. because they want to play certain types of roles and because of, you know, cultural expectations and 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 all of that, they feel like changing this particular physical feature might help them do that better. And so I think a lot of that sort of thinking is already really pervasive in this industry and in society at large, right? If only this were different about me, then I might be received in a different way, or I might give off a different vibe or energy or uh, something like that. So I think you are correct in in sort of uh, making this conjecture about what a future might look like with that, because I think people already kind of do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. And I mean, and we're doing that with VFX, right? Where you have de-aging techniques where they're already projecting faces on on, on an actor's face, right? Replacing their face with a younger right. version of them. Uh, even changing words with lip syncing without you knowing that they've done that. I mean, we're getting to that point. That's why I feel these conversations are so important right now to talk about this and figure out what makes us better than AI as humans. Right, because clearly there's going to be some things that we're not better at. We already kind of talked about those, right? And we it's we just can't stop that. No, no letter from any company saying we should halt AI is going to work. This is this is a this is out there and it's going to continue. So the next logical step is for a studio to say, look, we've we've got this part. Um, We don't need the perfect actor because it's the pizza delivery guy or or whatever, right? Um, we don't need to pay human because we can generate this, create this fake actor, actress, and then put him in there. We don't need the perfect emotions. It's just a regular really small part. Do you see that as a true future where a studio will be able to basically maybe have a Tom Cruise, let's say, uh, as the star, but then for maybe some of the other actors, they're gonna be A.I. generated because they don't need that Tom Cruise, you know, celebrity thing.
1: It's a great question. And it's something that I hope honestly comes up when SAG-AFTRA negotiates uh, the same way that the writers right now are on strike, right, because there are negotiations um, with uh, the the producers and the studios. Uh, I, I really hope that it's something that we start to talk about now and start to think about in terms yeah. of those negotiations because in theory, right, our union, um, uh, SAG-AFTRA, could say to the studios, this is not something that we're not gonna allow you to do. So on independent projects, you couldn't necessarily prevent someone from right. making a decision you know, to, to do something like that, to, uh, to generate certain characters or to fill certain roles um, artificially. Um, but you, in theory, could contractually make it so that. But that's uh, a temporary studios, fix, right? A temporary fix to have a contract?
0: F- to, uh, in place a temporary the- fix in the sense that, yeah, but' you're, contractually you're stopping that, but later on things are going to evolve so much. I think that it goes back to saying to figuring out why us and not the AI beyond the contract, I mean.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think that's part of the argument that's going to have to be made, right, in that yeah. sort of contract negotiation, right? If you're saying you're not allowed studios to do this, right, you have to make space because there are rules like that, right? Like when there's casting certain roles, the certain productions have to read a certain number of, of SAG actors. So there are things like that um, that have been negotiated and contractually agreed upon uh, between studios, producers and um, actors union, um, I think, yes, 100%, you're right, um, things are going to evolve and the technology will get that good. Uh, it's about what's allowed, though, right? What what's um, uh, what sort of regulations are in place um, and and how we're going to decide what what is okay and what's not, right? Yeah. Is it the sort of thing where if you're a recognizable celebrity, you're not allowed to have your roles usurped by AIs? Or, you know, where, where will we see the lines drawn.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, um, that's a big question. Uh, we're getting pretty close to the end here and I, I think I've only gotten through a quarter of the questions <laughs> I wanted to ask you, but it's it's a really fascinating uh, topic. Um, but speaking of celebrities, do you, there are celebrities that are that don't exist in the world. There's Instagram mm-hmm. followers you can follow uh, or Instagram uh, influencers, right, that don't exist. They're just AI, actually. Do you see, um, a studio creating a celebrity where they don't have to pay $20 million for Brad Pitt, right? They they just have the celebrity they created. I mean, do you see, and I know you don't have, we don't know any of us have the real answer to this, but do you see a potential future of that?
1: 100%. Because, so, you know, Hollywood was built around uh, studio and star relationships, right? So the production of the, the star image is what you know, from its inception, really sold the idea of Hollywood to people. People went to see those stars on screen, right? The the Cary Grants and, and Jimmy Stewart's and and folks like that. They're right. going to see them because that was something the studio was invested in was cultivating these star images and then having these folks right on their rosters so that you know they knew that they could pop these folks into a movie here and there and and then have a hit, right? And I think what's happened over time is, um, you know, you read a lot of articles about the decline of the movie star or how there aren't any movie stars left and and, and things uh, to that effect. And I think it's really interesting to think about how studios and have made the shift from emphasizing their actors and the, that singular individual as much to focusing on IP, right? Recognizable IP or franchisable mm-hmm. things. So I think it has a lot to do with the fact that humans are fallible, right? If you have a star, right, who becomes embroiled in controversy or something like that, what happens to your film? What happens to your product? What happens to your, you know, uh, your, your bottom line, essentially? Right. And so I think there must be something really uh, attractive to studios about the idea of, okay, we own this IP though, and that's what people are going to see. And so we don't have to put our trust and faith in these, in these humans, uh, <laughs> these fallible humans. Uh, and so I, I think that the idea of a studio having its own AI influencers or people that they're cultivating people, <laughs> in right. quotes. Uh, people, cultivating, I love that word. <laughs> is is uh, just an extension of that, yeah. Yeah. right? They already own characters, right? Disney owns the Star Wars characters, right? right. So Darth Vader is of Disney, Right, so how is that different from some new and you know character right. that has its own Instagram account that's posting? Well, you Princess p- Leia is still means. acting in
0: movies, right? I mean, right?
1: Yeah, that too. I
0: mean, she's been gone for a while,
1: so yep. yeah. Judging folks up. So yeah, it, it makes one hundred percent sense that a studio then would say, okay, we have IP now that that is a new character. It's just not associated with some franchise like a Darth Vader would be, but we still yeah. own it, and now we can do whatever we want with it.
0: So. Uh, we're going to end a conversation with talking about AI as an entity. We have humans today and we have corporations, which are their own entities as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you see a future where AI a studio will create these AI entities and create them as entities and legally be an entity that then can be in SAG, let's say a member of SAG, you can have human actors and AI actors be members of SAG. Um, do you see anything like that in the future? What's I mean, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I think uh, I read an article in the trades just this week where someone said something similar, but in relationship to to writers, right. right? Um, someone su- suggested that work could be, or AI could be used to augment writing work potentially but maybe whoever is actually doing the input right or, or prompting right. has to be a member of the WGA or maybe that's a potential whoever path writes forward. that prompt right right exactly whoever's using the tool that's who the member is um you know that'll be fascinating i think it's going to be would be a battle right i think they're uh it's a large union sag after is um 160,000 members i think there would be a lot of people would say, no, I absolutely never want, uh, you know, a, a robot or uh, an AI influencer to be a part of this union and given the same rights. I think it's also uh, questionable whether or not, you know, an AI needs the same rights and protections that human actors do, right? They don't need to take breaks. They don't need to eat, right? right. So a lot of the things they can that... can work more
0: they, than 8, 10, and 12 hours.
1: Right. So a lot of those things that uh, you know our union is, is has negotiated and uh, to make sets safe for us and you know a, a positive work environment yeah. might not be required of of AI entities. Right. Um, so maybe they wouldn't need to be a member of SAG. Yeah, right. which Probably. might be positive for many studios and might be a negative thing. right? They might say, great, fantastic, we don't have to pay this person, we don't have to give them meal breaks, we don't have to exactly. do all these different things. Right. Um, I can I definitely see a, a, a world in which studios try to go that route.
0: Well, some are talking about taxing. If you're replacing a human in a job with AI, taxing the company for that replacement as if they were human. Right. Paying taxes, you know, social security, all those kinds of things that you would for a human from a company's point of view, doing that for that. A.I. I'm not sure how that's going to take off because the logistics of that and the legals uh, legality around all that, I think is yet to be determined. But I think that's the beautiful thing of what we're going through right now. We're going through a real revolution in technology, in filmmaking and. Um, I think so much is gonna change in the next five years that we may look back and just not even recognize today, five years from now.
1: Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it's just gonna continue to explode exponentially, all of these uh, technological advancements.
0: So final question, Um, you're also an indie filmmaker, so you create indie films. Correct. As an indie filmmaker, we're always constrained by budgets, right? so now, take off your acting hat as an actor, right? What about for indie filmmakers, digital actors, where you you are constrained by the reality of budget? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I don't know that I can take off my actor hat, honestly, to <laughs> even engage in that conversation. Or at least it might sound like I still have it on, because my honest philosophy about it: um, I was in a film, the very first film I did after I moved to Los Angeles. The director said to me at a certain point, you know, this is a low budget film, but the reason I decided to cast union actors or make this a SAG production um, and to make sure that the actors were paid and all those things, even though the budget was low, was because technology is so good nowadays that everyone has a DSLR, everyone has, you know, access to different um Tools essentially to make high quality visuals. And she said, What really separates, in my mind, uh, a quality, low budget project um, from one that is of lower quality are the performances. That is the sort of subjective thing that can elevate a project, even when it does have a low budget. Um, and I subscribe to that same ideology. So I'm in post-production on a feature film that had a $60,000 budget, which is kind of impossible, honestly. Um, but it was a union production. Our actors were SAG. And so that, yes, did require paying um, you know, union minimums and paying humans, period. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that's what's going to happen moving forward, right? With everyone having access to any sort of specific tools, technological tools, How do you separate yourself? How do you and your work stand out? If anyone in theory can go and prompt, right? uh, Some characters or some actors into existence. And I think that's gonna come down to maybe the human element and the the training factor um, because, you know, performances can make or break the same we were talking about sound uh, previously. Performances and sound are the things that will really take you out of a and, and make you really see the seams of a low budget production. Right. So, I, I think that the temptation is going to be strong for, for indie filmmakers to do things like that to say, I don't need to worry about actors now. I can do my whole production myself. Um, and that might be novel or an interesting hypothesis to test out for a while. Mm -hmm. But again, once everyone has access to the same tools, and once everyone knows how that process works, and someone posts a YouTube video of their workflow, and everyone's, you know, mimicking it for their projects, how are you going to make something that stands out? And I would argue that um, the human element will be will be that
0: yeah definitely well this was fascinating lauren thank you so much i mean like i said i didn't get through all the questions i had but it's okay because i mean i think we we touched on what's really important is being that human and what makes us different from a this future ai that potentially can take over right um thank you so much for for the for doing this conversation i really appreciate it
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's it is really fascinating to talk about, and and it was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, you've got there. I think on the screen, it's your uh, Twitter. Uh, anything else you want to give away?
1: Yeah, if you want to head to undertheinfluencer.movie, movie, you can subscribe to a mailing list for the the feature in which I'm currently uh, in post production. So With real humans. It, with real humans, yes. But there are a lot of technical <laughs> elements in the film and right. um, some generative AI art was used nice. in it and things like that. So yes, there, cool. there are uh, things for both camps. Yeah, for both <laughs> in camps. In that film. So Excellent. yeah, subscribe to our mailing list and then we'll send you some updates about the film as we uh, get further with the process. And that's
0: in our show notes too. It's linked there so people can check it out. All right, Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks to the rest of you. I hope uh, you enjoyed as much as I did this conversation. This was a really great conversation. Remember to go to creativespark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials on cutting edge technologies, workflows, and tools to help you be a more creative and productive filmmaker. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Click that bell icon to get notified. And if you liked it, click the like button. If you didn't like it, send me an email and tell me why. Uh, and finally, just uh, email me if you have any questions, marcello at creativespark.ai. So we'll see you on the next episode.